From Guelph, Ontario, this is The Smart Seed, and I am Leanne Shagan. The Smart Seed is brought to you by Free Labor. Free Labor provides essential services that have no monetary value, like kindly calling up your parents to let them know that no one reads their forewords, fixing your IKEA furniture, and vacuuming after realizing you got more popcorn on your couch than in your mouth. Free Labor, the quality work that you do and don't get paid for. For my own well-being, I should mention, first, that unequivocally my mom is and always has been a good cook. For sure, there were a few experiments that went awry, but on the whole, we ate exceptionally well. That is, except for the pork chops. There was nothing good about a pork chop. They were dry, tough, and had as much flavor as a Jesus wafer on a Sunday morning. It didn't matter who cooked it or whether you were eating at home or at your cousin's wedding, it tasted the same. And because my mom was a good cook, I always assumed the blame lay on the pork chop. I stayed away from pork. Well, I stayed away from pork except for bacon, ham, pork sausages, and other charcuterie meats because there is a big difference between pork and pork that has been salted, sugared, smoked, and spiced. The latter is downright delicious. However, for the lowly pork chop and I, we did not reconvene our disappointing relationship until I started working in the health food industry. It was at this point that I found out that pork was parasitical. Uh, what? I've had many a food revelation over the last few years, and that was certainly one of them. For someone who grew up around pigs, who gently goaded them to pig heaven on Monday mornings and tried to stomach them on Monday evenings, I had no idea. I was also confused. We were selling humanely raised pastured pork, and yet folks were turning their nose up at the pork chops and the pork roasts, and yet still thoroughly enjoying their bacon. Was it because bacon was cured and delicious that you didn't have to worry about getting parasites? And if pork was so dangerous, why had I never heard of it before? The disease is called trichinosis, and it would probably be a good idea to premise the following by saying it is rare, at least in North America. There are currently about 20 cases of trichinosis in the United States a year, and due to improved pig management, there is now a greater chance of getting trichinosis through the consumption of wild game than pigs. The disease is caused by eating undercooked meat of animals infected with the larvae of the trichinella worm, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The signs and symptoms, severity, and duration of trichinellosis vary. Nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, fatigue, fever, and abdominal discomfort are often the first symptoms of trichinellosis. Headaches, fevers, chills, cough, swelling of the face and eyes, aching joints and muscle pains, itchy skin, diarrhea, or constipation may follow the first symptom. If the infection is heavy, patients may experience difficulty coordinating movements and have heart and breathing problems. In severe cases, death can occur. For mild to moderate infections, most symptoms subside within a few months. Fatigue, weakness, muscle pain, and diarrhea may last for a month. Sounds like a memorable experience. The pig's success over the past 10,000 years of domesticated life is due mainly to its remarkable ability to adapt. 
Pigs are omnivorous, and if left to their own whim, will eat anything, and that is the problem. The trichinella worm is introduced into the pig's body through the pig eating other infected animals. Trichinosis was a consistent problem within our food chain up until the mid-1950s. Unfortunately, for those of us who are concerned about animal welfare and would like to support free-range pastured animals, it was the pork industry's move towards the industrialized model that significantly lowered infection rates. Moving pigs from outdoors to confined spaces indoors allowed farmers to better control what the pig consumed, grains and more grains. Along with moving pigs into confined spaces, the public was educated on the importance of cooking pork properly. Well, kind of. The government of Canada to this day suggests that consumers cook pork to 160 degrees Fahrenheit. The USDA had the same recommendation until 2011 when it lowered it to 145 degrees. This is because 160 degrees results in dry, tough, flavorless pork. It wasn't the pork chop's fault. It was us all along. We were overcooking zealots who let our fear get in the way of our proper cooking. However, for some reason, our concern did not really transfer over to pork products that have been smoked or cured. If we go back to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, they state curing or salting, drying, smoking, or microwaving meat alone does not consistently kill infective worms and homemade jerky and sausage were the cause of many cases of trichinellosis reported to the CDC in recent years. So, the public is still confused, and how we treat pork products can be rather contradictory in manner. On top of this, the whole situation leaves us in a bit of a conundrum. Although all animals should be respected and valued, in terms of our domesticated animals, pigs are particularly interesting creatures. In Mark Essig's Lesser Beasts, A Snout to Tail History of the Humble Pig, the author tracks the historical story of the pig and its importance and influence on human civilization. He discusses the pig's innate ability to thrive in different locales, whether it be in forests, farms, or city streets. In Europe, where pigs ate acorns in the forests and grain on the farms, pigs and their meat were unquestionably a part of society's dietary routines. However, as we moved more east and pigs were found in city streets surviving off of food scraps, rats, dead things, and other unpleasantries, pork was for the poor only, as the rich deemed it unclean and unsightly. For the colonialists, Pigs were a dependable source of food as they reproduced and adapted quickly to new lands, spreading diseases to the native peoples while providing food for the newcomers. Pigs are one of the only hoofed animals that make a nest for their young. They wallow in the mud to moderate their temperature and prevent sunburn. They make sure to urinate and defecate away from their bedding. Their sense of smell is 2,000 times better than ours, and their snout is not just a nose, but doubles as a fifth limb. The pig's snout is similar to an elephant's trunk in its dexterity. Considering the pig's natural abilities, it is deeply unfortunate the majority of pigs in existence today exist in crowded pens on cement floors in enclosed buildings, unable to live as pigs naturally live. They are there for our convenience, our consumption, and our health. It is also very easy to condemn the industrialized farming model, which I have done on many occasions. However, it would be ignorant of us to not imagine that perhaps there were very good reasons for the creation of the industrialized model in the first place, reasons that go beyond the almighty dollar. According to Peter Davies in his article, Intensive Swine Production and Pork Safety, there is an 80-fold greater risk per pig produce of trichina infections resulting from eating niche market versus commercial pork products in the United States. Of course, although the industrialized model solved this problem, it also created many more that were unseen decades before. Yet it is a conundrum. And maybe because the reality is unsatisfying is the reason for our mixed feelings towards pigs and their meat. 
Source material for today's podcast is linked in the body of my article, which you can find at my website, thesmartc.ca. If you are interested in learning more about the pig, I highly suggest you read Mark Essig's Lesser Beasts. I've linked an insightful interview he did with the CBC's The Current. As well, there is a really lovely documentary called The Private Life of Pigs from Real Stories, which again, you can find at my website. Thank you to freesound.org for Two Pigs in Conversation, Hacienda Santa Blanca, which was created by Millie Wassar as part of the Experimental Sound Lab, a free sound collection curated by Thalamus Lab. Intro music was the Noodle Soup Rag by Eddie Morton from the Free Music Archive. That's it for now. Stay curious, my friends.